All right, you can take your Bible and turn to the book of Exodus. I'm still working on brokenness. And uh, we've seen the, we have seen the principle of brokenness uh, demonstrated in the scriptures that, that anything great that God has ever done or ever will do is through a broken life. And the pattern of brokenness, uh, we've, we've looked at that in depth. In, uh, in, in, and with many scriptural examples, primarily the, in, the, in the heart of every man, the trinity of man over there in Thessalonians. <clears throat> but I want to come to the purpose of brokenness tonight, and I don't know how far we'll get. But the purpose, of, the ultimate purpose, God doesn't just, it's not just breaking us for breaking sake or breaking us because of anger on the part of God. But it's the the purpose of brokenness is, is to bring us to a place of spiritual maturity and, to br- and in that bring us to a place of successful ministry. And until we get, until we get to the spiritual growth, our ministry is a waste. There's plenty of ministry going on in the United States today that's nothing but Flesh annex, you know. Somebody can tell jokes, or, yeah. or somebody's building a castle of numbers, or, or that's not. That's all flesh. That's not what. That's not spiritual. And so, so I want to look. At, I want us to look at that a little bit. And I don't know if we'll get past this portion of Exodus or not, but. Uh, I wanted to look at the life of Moses, really the beginnings of Moses with you tonight. And there's plenty of other scriptures goes with it, but I don't think we'll be able to get much of them done tonight. But let's look at Exodus chapter 2. And I'm not going to read a text. We're just going to preach down through the text. But in Exodus chapter 2, I've got a... I've got a series over in the in the book of Second uh, Timothy on Moses, uh, and and uh, how that God took him, moved him. He's a he's an example of the of the uh, providence. Of God and how God's God's will and God's work is going to be done, whether we want to be in on it or not. He's going to do His work. Over in Second Timothy, I got a little note here. Uh, In verse number, in 
and it's in chapter number uh, somewhere here. Well, I said I'm going to show you something, but I don't know if I am or not. <clears throat> trouble, the trouble of having more than one Bible. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe, I, maybe I need to go to Hebrews chapter 11. Y'all just bear with me a minute. Yeah, that looks better. In Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse number 23, uh, and down all the way through 29, is a summation of the life and ministry of Moses. There's, there's the source of his faith, the strength of his faith, the service of his faith, and the supernatural position and power of his faith. I'm not going to preach that, but over here in Exodus chapter 2, now I've got y'all all over where now we can go back. Look here. There went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. You're going to have to go all the way to Exodus chapter 6 to find out who they are. I'm not going there, but in Hebrews, he says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw that he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. We've got two vague verses about the beginnings of Moses. But in neither one of them do you know who they are. You've got to go all the way to Exodus chapter 6 to have to find Amram and Jochebed. And that's the parents of Moses. But I would say, uh, you know, if you read this, every one of us had, had to have a beginning. I've got a message I preached on who we are is who we were once. Here's a guy that grew up around mechanical things. Way out in the field uh, with working machinery. There's a guy sitting back there that was a spoiled brat. And he's a computer tech. I got, got more than one of those. Yeah, which one? Spoiled brat. Spoiled brat. Which one do you want to pick? Wasn't that right? Wasn't that the way it was, John? Yes, to me. I think you got anyway, your stories mixed up. But you see, you see the difference? There's John. Whoops. He's trying to figure out what where the where, what end of the boat to put the nut on, right? <laughs> we all are a product of our background, that's all I'm saying. And all of us had to have a beginning. What we do
do with our background and what that background brought us to may be greatly different. Some of you whippersnappers <laughs> yeah. kind of hold yeah, us <laughs> non-technical uh, seniors. <laughs> but we didn't grow up with it. Hey, that's right. I was I was uh, thirty years old and in college before anybody ever said computer. Mm -hmm. And uh, worked half my life to get a a post versatile slide rule, and about the time I got it, they shot a rocket to the moon, and Ti came out with a. <coughs> Little, little chip run calculator that would do more than that that high dollar slide rule would do in the heartbeat. What's the slide rule? <laughs> <laughs> you don't savvy, huh? Oh. <laughs> Is that the one that you Honestly, I didn't savvy much of it either. <laughs> we had to have one in school. Right. So so I was school two speed. years to run a mechanical head machine. They called it a compometer. Mm -hmm. About the time she got it learned, they came out with electronic, and it did away with her whole. She went to college two years for it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> About the time she got a good job doing it, everything shifted, and yeah. computers came into being, and. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anyway, all I'm saying is we all are products. Yeah. Some of you right. guys are Star Wars nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Give me Roy Rogers and Gene Autry. Yeah. <laughs> Hop along Cassidy yes, and yeah. Tim Hope. That's pretty hard to beat. Right. <laughs> but we're a product of who, who we were. Some of us are Baptists because, if, and I was, I went through a period of time that I searched scriptures and talked to preachers uh, earnestly because my granddad was a Baptist preacher and my dad was a Baptist, my great granddad was a Baptist preacher and my dad was a Baptist preacher. And how do I know what the Methodist might be, what I wanted to be? Finally, I had a preacher put it in perspective for me. She said, "You ought to, instead of questioning, you ought to be thankful that God has given you a heritage of godly people in your background. And accept it and read your Bible and go on and, and serve the Lord. And he helped me tremendously with, with that kind of advice. We've got young people here. They don't know what to believe and who to believe. They, mm -hmm. hey, you put it in. Put look at them. Mm -hmm. We have that Baptist background now. We have a Bible background, and we do know. We may not be doing all we know, but we do know what's right and what's wrong. But they're spending. Hours in a in a confused 
school system. Mm -hmm. mm. They don't know what sex is is right. They don't know what, how to handle all the temptations in, that are offered them in mm. in this world. They don't know what is success and what if, if all they're getting is out there in the world. Yeah. And James Dobson says that that a person's makeup is about seventy percent complete by the time they're five years old. The attitudes and the tempers and the Endurance and all of that is built in those first years. But most of our under five year old kids are spending seven hours a day with a television set, and that's their formation. You can't offset that with one hour in a Sunday school class a week, it won't work. There has to be Bible training for those little junior kids in the home. Yeah. That's the only way it'll work. And so, but so, we all are pro I'm, off, I'm way off my, where I would need to be, but, but we're all a product of our beginnings. And thankfully, God gave Moses an Amram and Jochebed, and that verse did say that he was of the house of Levi, and he took a daughter, a wife of the daughter of Levi. Over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, God said that, that two, he said, come out from among them, be ye separate, touch not the unclean thing. And then he says that, that God and this world can't walk together in unity. The wisdom of this world won't work as we try to live for God. And so, so here's a, in this Old Testament economy, a Levite was about as godly as anything you could find on the face of the earth. And Verse 2, here's where. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. She was anti-abortion. Mm -hmm. The king was saying, abort those babies. And she said, I won't do it. And she hid him. You know the story. So he's, so he's hidden, and you go all down all the way down to verse six. I just made some notes. She she put him in an ark of the bulrushes, in the bulrushes, daubed it with slime and pitch, put the child therein, laid it in the flags by the river's bank. His sister stood far off to wit what would be done with him. What that. In King James English, that is, to know what would be done. And the daughter of Pharaoh came to wash herself and walked by the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the flags, 
She sent her maid to fetch it. Can you see the providence of God? Here's the daughter of the ruler of the whole world. And she now has her eye on God's chosen servant. And the maid said, as she saw the child, behold, the babe wept. I guess God pinched him right at the right time. And she had compassion on him. I've seen some kids that I didn't have any compassion for. <laughs> and she said, this is a Hebrew child. And so the daughter said, you want me to go get his mama to take care of him as a nurse? And she said, yes. And he became... The child grew, and she brought him to and she brought him to Pharaoh. His mother, who was his nurse, brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses. So there's there is God's man being prepared for a ministry. He had the he had the right parents. He had the right little ark sitting in the right place and at the right moment for for Pharaoh's daughter to uh, catch be struck in her heart for him and now he's in the position of if you re if there's a verse over in uh, Acts you don't have to go here but I'll read it for you if you want me to in, in Acts Remember when Moses was saying, I can't speak? And if there's, ever, if there's ever a time that God lost his temper in the scriptures, it was on the fifth excuse for not doing God's will. When he said, I can't speak. And here's, he's talking to the man, that, to the God that made every mouth. And anybody who can speak, he makes to speak. And he can repair mouths that can't speak and make them speak. And, and so he said, okay, there's your mouthpiece. And if there is one, one uh, thorn in Moses' side, it's Aaron. Every time he shows up, things go haywire. God used him. But he kept Moses humble with his brother Aaron. Uh, look at verse 12. I'll read it to you. In Acts, Acts chapter 7, verse 22. Listen to this. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Does it sound like he can't speak? No. No. God knew he could speak. <clears throat> How many of us have said, when God said, you do. You go. You be. How many of us have said, I can't speak. Mm -hmm. Get somebody else to do it. 
or I can't serve, or I can't walk, or I can't witness, or whatever the call is. It doesn't hold water is all I'm saying. God knows already what we can do. He recorded it in His book, Mighty in Words and Deeds. So here's this, here's this boy that God is, is, is uh, dealing with. Go down to, down to verse, verse 11 uh, through 14 of chapter 2. Here's a guy that's got high ambitions even though he will not he'll make five excuses why he can't serve God but he look at his ambition. It came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren looked on their burdens in spite of Egyptian smiting a Hebrew. He looked this way and that way when he saw there was no man he slew the Egyptian. And when he went out to the second day and so on. Uh, he saw two Hebrew men fighting, and he said, uh, "Why do you smoke? Why do you, why smitest thou?" Verse thirteen: "Thy fellow, your brother, your friend, why your your fellow church member? Why are you fighting with him? Mm-hmm. Aren't y'all brothers? Aren't we brothers?" Why we fight so much then? That's what he'll say. Get your attitude right, boys. Look at 14. And he said, Who made thee a prince and judge over us? Why did he say that? Because Moses came from the palace with the idea that he could rule over the land. What, what do you call that? D-R-I-D-E. Pride. Greatest single, in, bring a single hindrance to the work of God is pride in His servants. Yeah. And we say, I can do it. We can't do it. Right. God will have to do it in us That's right. and through us. We have no abilities. Hey, here's a boy that's been, he's got 20 years or so in the palace. He's been, he's been trained in every, he's mighty in words and deeds. That's what Acts says. He knows all the education. We've got the idea that if we can run a computer (laughs) or run a machine or build a building or put in an air conditioner or something that makes me capable. Right. Not for God's work. Right. Yeah. I'll never forget that. I, I know I've told this here, but that's what happens when you try to pastor. You Everybody knows your illustrations, I guess. <laughs> so I had a lady in my church who was a medical stenographer. What she could do is sit at an electric typewriter before computers. Mm-hmm. And that doctor carries that little machine with him that records 
he talks to it and describes the condition of a patient. She could sit and type that message that he recorded as fast as he could talk to And I said something to her one day about being a such a fast typist. I said, God give you a talent. She said, that's not my talent, Brother Wayne. I don't want that for my talent. She said, what I do is I'm a missionary down there in that office to all them people that work in the office. And that typing just gets me in the office and then I get to tell them about the Lord. And good. That's a right attitude. Most of us don't have it. I mentioned Veronica a while ago. I'll never forget the day. I hadn't been at this church very long. Veronica was going down that long hall out there with a mop bucket or something. I don't remember what she had in her hand. But I knew she was cleaning bathrooms. And I said, how you doing today, Veronica? Okay, Brother Wayne. How you? I, we, I said, well, it looks like you're having a rough day. She just stopped. <coughs> She's standing about this tall. <laughs> she stopped and turned and looked at me, and she said, I'm not having a rough day. I said, why do you say that? She knew why I said it. I said, you're cleaning bathrooms, aren't you? She said, yes, sir, I am. She said, Brother Wayne, I can't sing, and I can't teach, but I can clean bathrooms. And I'm cleaning bathrooms for the Lord, and I'm happy to do it. It's good. I walked away with my tail between my legs <laughs> and said, "Yes, ma'am." I it was a it was a correct statement. Yeah, she was given what she could give to the Lord. That's good. And God will use that every time. It's not how much you can do; it's how how what you'll do for him that counts. She had the right ad- idea. She was doing it for the Lord. I walked in a, in a VA hospital one day, and my man that I went to visit was having a terrible time. He was, had cancer in his intestines. And I walked in, and his bed was a terrible shape, and he was in terrible shape. And I went down, and there was a black, a boy taking care of the, the nurse there that morning. They spent about an hour in there cleaning him up, cleaning the bed up, cleaning the bedroom up, and getting everything back in shape. I'm standing out in the hall waiting to visit with my man. And after a while, he came out and he said, You can go in, sir. I said, I said, you had a rough morning this morning, didn't you? He turned around and looked at me and he said, he said, listen, I'm a Navy corpsman. I don't consider it a rough day when I can take care of these veterans. Mm. It's not to, it's a, it's a, it's an honor for me to be able to help them when they're in trouble. Yeah. And I'm not having a rough day. I, begged, I, I went in and visited with my man, then I went and visited with him and apologized and, get, and tried to say thank you 
for treating my friends like you're treating me. It would help us if we could have that attitude about serving the Lord. Amen. It's not, you know, one of the dangers of being a pastor preacher is that as people look at you in some exalted hey yeah that's not the way it is God chooses these vessels that may be educated in the education of Egypt they, they may have DDTs and LTDs on the back of their name, but that does not make them capable. That's only preparation work to help them to be a vessel for the Lord. But until the Lord moves in them, it doesn't matter how much education or how much seniority or how much they know. It does not matter. Until God's power works with His words in His vessel. And we can all be used. So, so here's, here is, now here we have described, and I haven't really done a good job of describing it, but I, here, here's Moses now. God's given him a God's given him a chapter almost to describe him just as a baby and a boy and a beginning <clears throat> prince, a leader. And to point out that he's his vessel. But he hasn't accomplished anything. All he's done is kill an Egyptian and now he's running. And if you look down to verse uh, 15, now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh. Do you know somebody that's been thrown away by this world and then became a servant of the Lord? God is the God of a second chance, third chance, fourth, fifth, hundred chance, God will use the the throwaways of this world. He can do it. Jonah proved that. Praise the Lord. God never did get Jonah to the place he wanted him to be, but he used him anyway. You read that last chapter of Jonah, there's no... The last chapter of Jonah compares with Luke chapter 15. In Luke 15, the last sentences is God the Father, the Father of the house, pleading mm. with that older son mm. that has been the faithful servant right. and has, has come in and rejected the work of God when a lost soul has been rescued and the celebration is going on. And he said, you never gave me one of your kids. He's not talking about children. He's talking about the livestock. 
and it ends with a resentful attitude of the elder son who would not be reconciled when the Holy Spirit moved. You go over to the book of Jonah. Jonah preaches the greatest revival in the Old Testament. And that whole city of Nineveh, uh, that, that city that's three days journey or whatever it was across it, that whole city from the king to the stable mates has revival. But the last chapter deals with the preacher who's pouting because God gave revival to a bunch of Gentiles. I had a friend that went, went to Israel. He's, he's dead now, but he was he went to Israel a few years ago. And he was out there at the Wailing Wall. Some of y'all have been there. Some of our people went there. And the Orthodox Jews were there bobbing their heads and bouncing their curls and, and praying at the Wailing Wall. And one of those little fellows that looked just like his daddy, dressed just like his daddy was there. And my friend got down on his knees and they made acquaintance and were having a good time. Dad got through praying. He came by and said, Son, Tell the dog goodbye. We've got to go home. It's that attitude. You can have the attitude and still be over at the Wailing Wall. You can have the attitude and still be in a prayer attitude. But you can't have the blessing of God until you lose the attitude. So here's 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 Moses. Uh Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. I made myself a note that he was in complete despair. Everything he'd ever been trained to do, he couldn't do. All the power of the, of the wisdom of the words and the education of Egypt doesn't do you much good at a well in Midian. It's a whole different society over there. And I think about, I think about some of the men I've known, and I hear it in the voice of some of these young missionaries. I think the best thing that a, a, any missionary could do is work as an under-shepherd in a church before he goes over there. If they don't do it here, they're not going to do it there. But what, and I try to head off every missionary that preaches. They all want, they all want to show you how well they can preach. Don't they? Isn't that what they want? Of course they But here's what I want. I want to hear the cry of their heart. I want to see compassion for lost souls. Because good preaching doesn't mean much if you can't speak the language. And good preaching won't, won't get people saved over where you can't, where you're, you have a high attitude of yourself and they're digging it out of the dirt. 
you've got to get on their level if you're going to reach them. Yeah. Right? Amen. Well, look at Moses. He's sitting by a well, completely in despair. Everything is over in his life. But the priest of Midian come, uh, had seven daughters, and they came, and the shepherds came, and, and drove them away. But Moses stood and helped them. That was his nature. He'd been raised by a mama. He knew what an what a upstanding young Hebrew boy was supposed to do in a situation like that. He's supposed to help the weaker ones. And uh, they came down to the priest and they said an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds. He said, where is he? Why have you left the man? Go call him that he may eat bread. And Moses, verse 21, and Moses signed up for the university on the backside of the desert. He's going to be there several years learning. Look at it. Moses was content to dwell with the man. Moses is no longer the prince of Egypt, no longer the son of the, of the daughter of Pharaoh, He's no longer in charge of anything. He doesn't even own a sheep. He is content to dwell with a man and uh, let's see. And verse 1 of chapter 3, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. There's lots that goes on between 21 and 1. Somewhere in the middle of all that, he got contented to be a shepherd. Can you imagine riding in that Roman chariot, I mean that Egyptian chariot, behind those horses that they had in Egypt? Solomon sold his kingdom for the horses of Egypt. But Moses is contented to follow a few blatant stinking, aggravating sheep for 20 years or more. He's on the back side. He, what did you learn over there, Moses? Well, I was not mighty in words and deeds. I, w I did not have to have the education of Egypt. I didn't have to have status before Pharaoh. What I learned over there was to be a nobody in the middle of a bunch of nobodies and know nothing. I didn't even own a sheep. It was my father-in-law's sheep. But I was contented with absolutely nothing on the backside of the desert. I read the other day fellow's testimony about a young man who had been his assistant pastor and now he was sending him out as a pastor. He said when he came to me, he said, 
Brother so-and-so, I, I think God's calling me to preach. He said, oh, he's not, probably not calling you to preach. Go back and think about it a while. <clears throat> a year or two later, he came back and he said, I really believe God's calling me to preach. He said, well, wouldn't you be just as satisfied to be a teacher over at the school or a worker over at the chemical plant or something? He said, no, sir. He said, God's calling me to preach. He said, I've been trying to do other things. You told me you didn't think I was calling. He said, I can't do anything. It's all I think about. It's all I want to do. It's all I am. He said, I believe God called you to preach. He said, I've... I was testing you when I sent you away to see if you really had a calling or if it was something you just wanted to do. There was a time in my ministry where we had 17 preachers, boys, in our church at Allen. Out of the 17, there may be three of them still serving the Lord. I see this situation that a couple of them are in and wonder how they keep going. But the way they keep going is they they were broken of what the world wants and brought to a place of what God wants. And nothing else will satisfy once you get there. Position won't satisfy and success won't satisfy. Only the the move of God. Moses was that man now. I mean there's gonna be a common there it's, it wasn't it wasn't a sacramental bush, it wasn't a monumental bush, it was not even a noticeable bush, it was just a common old bush over there on the Backside of the desert, but it caught on fire, and God, and, and Moses got the idea that God was working over there. Yeah. Well, we got to stop right there. Mm-hmm. I'd like to, I'd like to go a little further with, it, but I can't. Just notice this, and I'll quit. When Moses got to the bush, what God say? Huh? He said, "You're a you're a dirty man. Take off your shoes. This is holy ground. You're gonna have to make a change, Moses. You can't be Moses anymore. You'll have if you're gonna be God's man. You're gonna have to make a change. All that education, you're gonna have to throw it away. And that's what he did in Hebrews 11." And all of that position, you're going to have to throw it away. We could go to my outline now in Hebrews 11. He counted the righteousness of God more valuable than everything, all the riches of Egypt. Right. He counted the knowledge of God more important than all the education of Egypt. He counted the power of God more able than all the armies of Egypt. And when he did that, you read it over in Hebrews 11, he's going to go, he's going to defeat the armies, he's going to go across the Red Sea, and he's going to be the victor in a land of milk and honey. 
comes with the help of God Almighty. Let's, let's pray and we'll be dismissed. No, let's pray and we're going to have a business meeting. <laughs> Father, I just ask you to have your way with us. I pray, God, that you'd help us to get the message. Lord, I pray that you uh, touch us and use us and help us to see that it's yielding, not overcoming. It's give, giving you a place, not standing up on our own. Lord, it's not us, but it's you that must work. I pray, God, that you make us a place where you work. Make us a place where the power of God is demonstrated. Make us a place where the people of God stand in awe of what you do. Lord, I pray that you do a mighty work in this place we call Metropolitan Baptist Church. Make us as a body the people that you can use. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus, and thank you for uh, your promise to be with us, to never leave us, or forsake us, and Lord, to give us abilities above everything that we could ever ask or think. Please have your way. In Jesus' name, I pray.